everybody, and welcome to episode, I want to say it's 31, of the QDQ podcast. If you don't know us by now, my name is Becca. And uh, my name is actually Ben. That's right. I'm Ben. <laughs> uh, and you may also know me as Shay Willard. That's right. I am your first and second favorite co-host, both Ben and Shay Willard. And I am oh so very happy to be here uh, in Ben's stead and also for myself because this is amazing and I love it. Yeah, so as you guys know, based on the episode title, this is uh, the next installment in the Ten Commandments series. So Shay was already supposed to be here, and then Ben had a had a conflict today, a very last-minute conflict, so he could not be here. So it just worked out nice and conveniently that Shay was already able to come on this show. Um, so let's talk about the most important part of the podcast. This is weird, because now I'm filling in, like, Ben's part. Um, <laughs> how was your week, Shay? How was my week? Um, actually, it was really cool. Yeah, you probably don't know this. I spent my week hanging out with, this is true, Adam Savage. Um, That's amazing. What were, I mean, if you can tell us, what were, what was he up to? Yeah, I, I can tell you a little bit. So um, Adam's website, tested.com, um, it, it does this series where it will go to shops that make things, and um, <clears throat> he will sort of try his hand at building the things that they build. And so Animax, the company that I work for, we do animatronics, but we also do puppets. Um, and I'm going to stop there. I shouldn't tell you anymore, but let's just say that he was building a puppet and we were building a puppet and we were sort of comparing and contrasting, but, but he was also there the entire week. So he spent time with pretty much every department learning how we sculpt and how we engineer stuff. And it was really cool because, and I can tell you this, we were currently building a bunch of life-size animatronic dinosaurs and we had um, a couple of them moving this week. And so he was able to see that and see that part of the process. And so for me, it was my first time actually seeing any of our Gigantosaurus Rex animatronics move. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, so um, because of my position at Animax, it was my job, me and one other guy, to just stay with Adam and his crew all week. So I got to know his crew more than him because I, I'm a camera guy. So I, I was able to connect with them more than with with Adam, but I had a lot of opportunities just to get to get to know the guy a little bit and, and see him work. And I can I can attest that he is uh, just he's just as wonderful a human being off camera as he is um, on camera. He's a super cool dude. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting. That's great. Mm -hmm. And how was your week? Um, my week was busy. I am currently in the process of directing a. Um, a virtual play reading of one of my friend's original shows. It's the first time it's ever been formally produced. We It was a show that she started writing our freshman year as a 10-minute intro to theater workshop. And it was the first scene, this 10-minute workshop, we were like, can you make more of this? Like, like we want to know, like, where did this character come from? What's their story? Like, what's going on? How did we get to be here? Um, and she wrote a full two-act, and we're producing it. Virtually, that play reading is going to be on October 17th at 8 p.m. And it's free. You just sign up for the Zoom. But we do encourage donations because artists got to art, you know. So I will be sharing that on um, the QQ page soon. But we, I've been in rehearsal all week. This next coming week is going to be pretty much rehearsal every single day. Wow. So, but exciting things yeah. are happening. Congratulations on that growing. I've been... 
happy to see you posting things on Facebook. I'm glad you're doing stuff. Stuff, yes. I also can't formally announce it because I haven't signed papers yet, but um, I do potentially have another gig coming up, which is Ooh. nice. I've been in there. talks with people. So we'll talk later, but on the record, yeah, we'll keep it secret until it's official. Can't wait to so yeah, it. that was my week. Oh man, um, you'd be excited to hear this. I actually, I struck up conversation with one of my coworkers at Animax to come to find out she also went to Phillips Exeter Academy like I did, and she did a bunch of work at like Seacoast Rep and a gun quit. So yeah, pretty cool. Amazing. Another, another local person. Yeah, she, she, you and she would not have overlapped. She was like between my year and, and your year, but yeah, it's cool. Um, Amazing. Anyway, yeah. That's really fun. It's crazy how small and large the world is at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into the news. Let's do it. Um, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I really like this first one because I just, this is how I labeled it, Space Mountain the movie. <laughs> um, there's nothing about it. We just know it's happening or supposedly it's been... It's been announced that Space Mountain is getting a movie. Because um, Tomorrowland went over so well. Well, th well that was the thing. Is <laughs> Twitter was like, Twitter was like, oh, a movie about Space Mountain. I've heard there's another movie that is like very, that takes place in the same kind of universe, Space Mountain. And it was like basically describing the plot of Tomorrowland. <laughs> and I'm sad that like after I watched Tomorrowland, like, about a year after its actual theatrical release. And I was like, wow, this would have done really well in a different, it, like there was like almost no good promotion for it. And they didn't tell you anything about the movie going into it. Like the whole marketing campaign was very like mysterious and like Tomorrowland and like this thing. But like the movie was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's very interesting to look at the marketing of Tomorrowland versus the marketing of Pirates of the Caribbean because Pirates of the Caribbean came out in a world before J.J. Abrams. And so with Pirates of the Caribbean, you knew what you were getting into. Pirate hijinks, we're gonna lay out almost the entire plot for you, it's gonna be great. And then, yeah, like 15 years later, Tomorrowland came out and we'd been living in a world of mystery box writing from J.J. Abrams and Damon Albarn and, and that. And so suddenly they're like, the only way we can get people to come to the theater is to create mystery. And I'm like, you guys are going too, too far in the other direction. Tell yeah. I didn't know what, I'm a huge Disney Park fan. I'm like, what? I'm sure this is going to be cool, but I have no idea what the movie's going to be about. Like, it, it doesn't take place in the future. It kind of looks like it might. <laughs> yeah, and that was, that was the thing. It was like, I am a huge Disney Parks fan, as we know. I have this podcast, but like, I didn't see it in theaters, even though it said Tomorrowland. And I obviously knew that it was going to be some form of based on whatever world we're creating in in the disney parks mm -hmm. but um i'm intrigued to see what space mountain the movie is going to be like because space mountain as a ride so like they're making the jungle cruise ride they made pirates of the caribbean they're remaking the haunted mansion and all of those rides have somewhat of a storyline <laughs> and a concept and characters <laughs> already <laughs> in the ride but Space Mountain's just a fun little loopy roller coaster. Like, it's just, it's, I guess it's, it's probably going to be a good thing and a bad thing for them of like the, it's going to be hard for them to market this ride of like, this is, you're going to go see Space Mountain. But I also think it gives them an opportunity to really 
write a write a movie mm-hmm. like there's a completely clean slate with the fact that there are no characters or right or like plot devices in space mountain really it'll it'll be interesting to see if they kind of get caught on the idea of the title space mountain because the name space mountain does not do a good job of describing the attraction you're about to go into whereas pirates of the caribbean you, it describes it perfectly um but space mountain it's space that's the only thing it has in common with with the roller coaster at all so i'll be really curious to see if like the movie is called space mountain are they going to some giant structure in space that is a mountain and you know what i hope they do and i hope that they find harold the robotic yeti inside of it <laughs> i hope so too yeah. or um did you ever I, you were probably way too like like I was in my prime when I was reading The Kingdom Keepers, so you probably never read The Kingdom Keepers. I but read the Kingdom Keepers. Okay, <laughs> maybe they'll find some strange boy locked inside a storage closet oh, underneath the ride structure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still very upset that that. I mean, like they they are rewriting the, the books. Yeah, the to Kingdom make them. Keepers, that is, to and like they're supposed to be current, and the rumor is that there's going to be a Disney Plus series, but I'm still, like, mad it was never a movie 10, 15 years ago when it, when it was first a thing. I mean, the books weren't very good. Hey, man, the first book is great. The rest of them are terrible. Uh. <laughs> they outdate them, they outdated themselves with, by the second, the second book's release, though, the whole VMK yeah. thing. Well, like, you know, they they did that to themselves. They're they're making writing a book about a place that is self-declared to be forever changing. Um, yeah, I reread the first book recently, and I was like, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> like ev- almost everything, I was like, nope. Um, so I I am very intrigued at to see. I think they're out. Are they out yet? I'm not sure. Maybe. The, then rewrites. I'm very intrigued to read at least the first book to just like compare the rewrite and like see if the writing gets any better or if it's literally just like like there has the whole premise is like revolving around virtual magic kingdom so it's like what are you doing to fill that gap yeah uh tiktok my disney experience play disney app (laughs) oh gross um remember that time like five years ago when john favreau said he was working on a night at the museum style movie for walt disney world where did that go? I want that movie to get made. Because it would have probably been very like loosely based on the Kingdom Keepers is what I was thinking. Yeah. But I don't know where that went. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, we talked about that for a while. That was a long, long tangent. <laughs> um, speaking of movies, Soul is to be released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day 2020. And it's not an upcharge like Mulan was. It's just going to be a nice family fun Pixar time and I'm very excited I've been looking forward to soul forever yeah me too like I mean it's Pete Doctor the man everything the man touches turns to tears of happiness um mm, very excited for it uh-oh good dinosaur was a struggle good dinosaur was so good it was great it was a struggle (laughs) the good dinosaur was a hit and miss it was beautiful it was it was um an amazing film but it the storyline yeah it was lanking um and it 
there wasn't much memorable content of the the good dinosaur other than the beautiful landscapes. The landscapes were beautiful. So you you have to understand that I was was raised um, more or less on a farm. So the relationship that Arlo had with his father is exactly the relationship that I had with my grandfather. And it was also in Wyoming. So like the good dinosaur was made for me. (laughs) Understood. Yes. Yes. I, I loved it. But did you see that there's already a review out for for Soul? I know it. I haven't seen the review. Um, I know it. It was. It's gonna show at Can. Um, I don't know if that means. I don't. I don't actually know if Can is happening right now. But um, I do know that it's it's available for public viewing or for private viewing um, between now and when it comes out. So the review is really good. So I'm excited for it. <clears throat> it says it. It says it treats the the jazz and black culture the same way that Coco treated the Mexican culture. So I'm excited to see that. In a like as in like a very respectful and yep. um enlightening kind of way. Yes. That's good because that was one thing I like and I <laughs> Coco is a beautiful movie and I feel like it was it, it was like the <laughs> Coco, The Princess and the Frog, all these movies dropped because people are not nice people. So I'm very, like, I just want to see. Yeah. I want to see people appreciate these things in a, in a way that is educational and informative and also positive, you know? I, I have good news for you about Coco, which is in the Northeast, um, in the East in general, yeah, not super popular. But LA, where I was living when it came out, crazy popular it was in theaters for six months mexico it was in theaters for like a year it made a ton of money that's great yeah coco coco was a commercial success to be sure just not necessarily in the places that a lot in the circles that i was in yeah i i've talked about this before with ben because ben and i talk about how great coco is and i was like coco was an unfortunate timed movie in my life Um, because my aunt and I made a tradition every year to watch the newest kids movie that was released on Thanksgiving. That was always like, we took a break in the middle of of our day. We would go see the movies. Um, My grandmother passed away the day before Thanksgiving, the year Coco came out. So we were like, let's not go to the movies this year. And so my mom and I waited a few months and then we watched the movie and we were like, this movie sucks. It's so good, but it sucks. So... Coco is an amazing movie, and it's just a terribly timed movie in my life. <laughs> great movie. Great movie. Um, Apple Music has curated an entire Disney section of playlists. There's like a spooky one. There's a princess one. There's a, just classics, and there's like, like, there's like the old animated classics ones. And there's like a villains one. There's a bunch. Um, so if you have... Apple Music, which I don't, I use Spotify, but if you have Apple Music, check it out if you're in a Disney mood, which I always am. Um, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I got nothing to add. Um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series is going to supposedly start filming in March of 2021. Great. That's, again, all I have to say about that. I'm assuming it's going to be like a weird mix between like the spin-off series like the spin-off movies and the Mandalorian. Yeah. I think it's not going to be as dramatic and and like complicated. Is not the word, but that's the only word I can think of as the Mandalorian, but I think it will be 
good for the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi because it's also Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan. Yeah. So it's like, it's <laughs> as authentic as you can get of the actual character playing the character, which will be fun. And I actually don't know when it takes place. Do you know anything about it? I was about to ask. I, I don't. I hope, I hope just because Ewan McGregor has aged, I hope they place it after he moved to Tatooine. Because you know he yeah. went on adventures. Yeah, he probably had a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, battling with his own psyche. <laughs> of training all of them. Anyway. <laughs> um, as always, we have baby animal content on Q2Q. Baby dolphin was born at SeaWorld Orlando. A couple weeks ago, we had a baby giraffe at Animal Kingdom. And this week, we have a baby dolphin at SeaWorld Orlando. And we'll share pics. I don't have a pick for you, Shay. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I can I can see it in my mind. Imagine a baby dolphin. Yeah. Um, this is news you curated. Yeah. So big big news piece is in the ongoing layoffs happening at Disney. Connected with that, they announced that they are closing both Mickey and the Magical Map and Frozen Live at the Hyperion. They're closing Frozen. Yeah. Oh, you hadn't heard that. Um, so I am, su- I, I'm surprised that they they made an announcement about it and that it seems to be so permanent, because <clears throat> I I would optimistically I would like to say within six months the world is going to be kind of ramping back up again, because from from the New York Times podcast I listened to last week they the guy who was talking seemed pretty confident that a vaccine would be good to go probably by like mid to late January. So that, that's why I'm really confused that they are making such a permanent closure of two incredibly popular shows. Mickey and the Magical Map does not cost a ton of money, uh, relatively speaking, to run. Uh, Frozen Live of the Hyperion pulls, God, I don't know, like 15,000 people out of the park for an hour, um, which is just crazy so and i i totally understand that the parks aren't even open right now and the governor continues to play hardball with disney saying i, I don't i don't care we're not we're gonna open when we're when we're ready and i'm not gonna tell you when that's gonna be and my opinion is looking at the success of the parks in florida um i i do not understand why california is being so draconian the thing the thing that confuses me about california is that like SeaWorld san diego is doing like a little fall festival thing and that's allowed to happen and that's what's confusing is it's like i understand that disneyland is a higher caliber park typically but it's like so work with them and modify it to be something like that it just you know what i mean it's just very very silly that to me like i'm not sure where i actually stand on whether or not parks should be open all together if that makes any sense but if there are other parks that are open and things are going like there's been significantly no trace to theme parks and amusement parks Mm -hmm. with with spread so it's very interesting to see the the pushback and how like other things are allowed to open but not those things in california i don't know it just kind of seems like 
a weird like standoff. So SeaWorld, so SeaWorld and Knott's Berry Farm are both open through loopholes. So SeaWorld is open because it's technically a zoo or, or a zoo-like thing. And there's some law that's, that says like a museum, zoo, whatever can be open right now. So I don't believe any of their rides are open, but all of their animal exhibits are open. Okay. Knott's Berry Farm only has like the front half of the park open. Um, and it's purely as a food thing. So you go in and you order food and you walk around and you look at their stores and, and stuff. Um, and I think because it's just a food um, food festival, that's how they're able to, to open up. But, you know, I, I would assume that even if Disneyland could open up just for food, it wouldn't make any sense to them financially. Yeah. Um, and they would probably get 10,000 angry people who are like, well, you're open. Why can't I go ride Indiana Jones? You know? That's true. Because people... Yeah. For, I still, like, I understand that Disney is this world-class destination and that Disney does, typically people th- have the opinion that Disney does it better than anywhere else, but it's also, like, why do people have such this, like, stingy and one-sided opinion about Disney of, like, Disney is the best, so they have to be the best and they have to do all these things for us when they don't have that same opinion for a Knott's or even universal like people have such polarized opinions about universal to disney and it's like they are literally the same thing yeah i don't know it's just odd to me that people have such this like like still to like in 2020 that they have these standards back in like the 1950s to 70s i understand it but like at this point it's like they set the bar and people are are almost there i don't know yeah interesting to me i think the chip on a lot of shoulders at disney is the ticket price you know i paid 150 bucks to be in here today why am i waiting in line well yeah i can't disagree with that (laughs) i mean but again disney versus universal it's the same price more or less yeah and you go if you go by the day or two day ticket so like the cost that it is for a four-day ticket to disney versus a two-day ticket to universal presumably you're getting every single park they're doing almost the exact same actually it's cheaper to go to disney than it is to universal park by park if you if you do it that way but whatever <laughs> that's just my in-depth knowledge about universal studios <laughs> tell me about this other theme park shay yeah okay Everland. So one one of the little things that I really love to follow is non-traditional theme park models. So um, unrelated to Everland, there's a park in Salt Lake City called Evermore, which I totally love. There are no rides. It's just the most giant, epic, LARP renaissance fair you've ever been to. You, you go and you interact and you play this game that they run all day long. It's, it's a lot like Ghost Town Alive from Knott's or uh, Legends of Frontierland from Disneyland. Um, but so uh, that, that's like, I'm just, I just went off on a pointless tangent. But the point is that Everland is another very non-traditional model that's like, they kinda, they're kind of taking Meow Wolf and Meow Wolf is a very, very packed, dense art installation like you go into this building and you are just overwhelmed with things to look at everland takes it and is spreading it out into a park so it's mm. it's outside there's art installations all over the place but um 
the whole the whole sell is that it's it's supposed to be an environmentally friendly. They promise to be carbon neutral. Um, again, no major rides. It's it's sounds like a public park, but with benefits. So you go, there's hammocks, you bring your family, you have something to eat, you go and you look at all these cool art things, you walk around their beautiful lush grounds, you spend the day, um, and then you take off. And then six months you come back because things have changed. That's and amazing. I love it because it's because I love the Meow Wolf model. I'm, I'm working on a Meow Wolf style attraction in, in Tampa right now, um, but it's outside. I think that's the big thing is that it's it's going to be big. It's going to be outside. So even if COVID never goes away, this thing's still going to open up and it's still going to be great because it's outside. That's, it just sounds fun. I love things to do for the sake of doing them. Like that is one of my, one of my most like coveted experiences. Like I am a sad that this year, um, my my friend Jamie, who helps us do research sometimes, um, she and I, they, they just canceled it because of COVID. Um, we were going to make a day trip for a QDQ day trip to the giant pumpkin regatta in Goffstown, New Hampshire. And basically the idea is that people like these farmers all around the state grow these giant pumpkins that would normally compete in the fairs. And once the fair ends, they take their giant pumpkin that they competed and they hollow it out and they make a boat and they go down the Merrimack River. And me and Jamie, we're going to be like, what is this? And like, let's just go interview people being like, how long have you been doing this? Like, what, how did you guys get this idea? And it's just like that kind of thing of just like doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, and like, this sounds so incredible because exactly like it's outside it's art. It's bringing people to art. And that is huge because it's hard to get people to go to art. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. People either think it's, it's lame or it's this pretentious thing that people do is go to see art. And it's, you don't need to be this profound thinker, this artist who will appreciate art. And I think people don't understand that. You can just go and look at stuff. You don't need to know what, what the, the, the artist meant when they did it. You don't need to. You can just like it because you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Like it because you like it. Yeah, that's the news. I don't think there was anything else going on. I had to actually comb like many pages to be like, what is new this week? Because it's like, like there was so many things about the layoffs and we talked about it last week and I don't, don't want to talk about it anymore. It's not fun. Um, we did mention last week there is a cast member who put together the um, cast member pantry on Venmo. She collects money and mm -hmm. she puts together these little baskets. So again, if you want to help and you have a couple of bucks here and there, any bit helps. So if you have a Venmo and you're willing to help at cast member pantry on Venmo, that is helpful. So with that, we will be right back and get into the topic. Hey everyone, I just wanted to tell you about our new partnership with ScribbleScript Studio. ScribbleScript is an independently owned small business specializing in custom lettering designs. The artist behind it, Emma, is located in the Orlando area and frequently she can be found visiting the parks for inspiration. Some of my favorite stickers are her Happily Ever After Dumbo sticker and her Tower of Terror suitcase. So check her out on Instagram, make sure you let her know that Q2Q sent you, and if you're looking for some fun stickers to put on your laptop or your favorite water bottle, make sure you check out her 
Etsy shop at Scribble Script Studio and use the code Q, spelled just like the podcast, at checkout for 15% off your order today. That's code Q Q U E U E, spelled just like the podcast, for 15% off your order at Scribble Script Studios. And we're back. One thing we did not talk about what we're drinking. I'm personally not drinking anything because it is very late. Shay and I planned this very late meeting because of, again, all the complications with Ben's scheduling. And then we all had different things going on. Like I hiked a mountain today. Um, so it's late and both of us are like, we're going to record and we're going to go to bed and it's going to be great. Um, so if you're listening to this in the morning, good morning. We're going to bed soon. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about how I wish I had brought a glass of water. (laughs) That is what I'm drinking. Me right now. I have like two empty coffee cups and a beer from probably last week sitting on this, this Mm -hmm. desk, but it's fine. Um, hmm? We be classy human beings. That's right. Um, So this week, we are diving once again into the lovely topic of Mickey's Ten Commandments. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about the fifth commandment in the series called Communicate with Visual Literacy. So if you are new to the idea of Mickey's Ten Commandments, basically, it is a series of rules and guidelines put forth by the late, great Marty Sklar of Imagineering that guides Imagineers and designers on how to create a what I would call Disney-worthy product, but it also is pretty pretty good rules for art in general. Of um, A lot of them just have the through line of tell one story and tell that story well. Um, so this one very much holds true to that, which is the communicate with vid- visual literacy. And this one, according to Sklar, is basically give people context to understand what you're doing immediately. So in his book, One Little Spark, there is two different concepts in it, and there is the mouse car and the goof. So the mouse car is an actual award that Walt Disney used to give to his um, employees, and it was for people who did an exemplary job at something. And Sklar goes one more further, and he says, if there's a mouse car, to give somebody a great job, there should also be a goof to tell somebody that they did a not so great job. So we'll talk about the mouse car first. And according to Sklar, the world showcase is the best use of the idea of communicate with visual literacy. And his reasoning was that the suspension of disbelief in most pavilions will be convincing enough for you to maybe forget for a moment that you're in Florida. And his, one of his things was that kids fall for it. And it's pretty true. If you were like three years old, you probably would have no idea that you were not in it. If you were, if your parents were like, we're going to go to France now, you'd be like, okay, and toodle on over to, to the France pavilion. And like, everybody has the running joke of like, why spend all this money traveling the world when you could just go to Epcot and travel the world in a day, right? What do you think about World Showcase? in this idea um so it's it's been really interesting you and i've had a few side conversations about like what is what does this what does this rule really mean (laughs) Mm, yeah so I, i i think you know in terms of of you talk about how it establishes context immediately um 
and I think that that my I have a, a different interpretation of of the rule, but I think that it it has the same effect, which is my interpretation is just like if you're gonna do it, do it right. Um, I, I think that when I whenever I read communicate with visual literacy, I just interpret that as make good stuff. Uh, <laughs> Build something pretty in a theme park, you should be able to remove it from the theme park, put it into a museum, and it should still look good. Um, mm -hmm. But that, of course, combats with Marty's interpretation of it, which is all about context. But, you know, in, in, in terms of Marty's interpretation, yeah, Epcot, the World Showcase does a really good job because, uh, particularly with sightlines, there are very few places in World Showcase when you can see directly into a neighboring pavilion. You can usually see pavilions from like across the lagoon, um, but you can't, you know, you can't be standing in France and look down into Morocco because that's not what you should see. That's, that's not the context. But what I think is really beautiful is that you can, when you're standing in Canada, you can see the Mexican pyramid from afar. You can see um, the German uh, facade from the other side. And so to me, that's actually really beautiful because contextually, even though you're standing in Canada beside these beautiful waterfalls and you feel like you're absolutely immersed, there's no denying the fact that you're in a theme park and that there are 10 other countries for you to visit, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important that you can still see, I am in the World Showcase and I can see how beautiful the Mexican pavilion is from the far side. I think that's super cool. Um, I think that's part of the reason why the hub and spoke method works because when you're like in the middle of Magic Kingdom, you can't really get a good look at Frontierland, but you can you can kind of see through Liberty Square and be like, oh, there's there's something Frontier over there. Same thing with Tomorrowland, and that, that it's very intentionally the biggest thing that you can see from hub and spoke. But still, you can see there is a futuristic thing over there. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't see many more details about it. You can't eke out the entire story of the, the, the trade show and everything. You just know future there. Future there. <laughs> um, yeah, World Showcase also to, to add on to your, your thought of like, it's great that you can also still see across. It's almost like, I mean, the World Showcase in itself is a postcard for each country. But when you're looking at Mexico or Germany or wherever from across the lagoon it's like that's a postcard you're looking at a postcard from that country if you were in Canada you would receive something like this and be like wow that's a tease to then go it's almost like partnering with like building a weenie of like that's the postcard picture which is the weenie to get you to continue walking all the way all the way around world showcase mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> <laughs> World Showcase, very good. Um, and this one's really interesting to talk about the goof on on this topic because I think with with your idea, the haunted mansion shouldn't be on this idea. But with Scalar saying that you should know almost immediately what's going on, the his goof award is for the haunted mansion specifically in Disneyland, and I think it has to do with the way it was constructed as well. Because the Haunted Mansion, uh, if you weren't aware, took like, I don't know, a bunch of years. Because <laughs> <laughs> it kept getting interrupted by other projects. 
it was this idea of a walkthrough exhibit that had like I think you mentioned earlier like six different designers this morning yeah Yeah. it had a ton of different concept a ton of different designers and nobody could agree on what it should have been even Walt Disney couldn't agree with his people on what it shouldn't it should have been and ultimately they decided on this silly haunted house and it was a retirement home for ghosts that did not want to retire more or less um and Walt said that he didn't like they all like drew up these these buildings and they all looked like decrepit haunted houses as people would expect a haunted house to look like and what was like no 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 ugly things in my park please (laughs) and so Sklar was tasked it was actually his job to create a sign to tell you what was inside of it and it was before it was open it was just a kind of a little tease and he had to write this whole thing about like this is what this will be. It's going to be a haunted mansion. Doesn't look haunted, but trust me, there's ghosts inside. And it basically was like, they needed a sign to communicate (laughs) with what was inside this building. And now it's the most, probably one of the most well-known attractions in the Disney parks is the idea of the haunted mansion. And now people can see this, this, um, is it Victorian? It's it's different depending on the park. I don't know which one is. Yeah, one's Victorian, one's Gothic. One it's Victor. It's the Victorian. It's the yeah. Victorian plantation house. Um, the one in Disneyland. It's this beautiful ornate building that just looks like a building. Now we equate it to looking creepy because everything that's from the 1800s looks creepy. <laughs> but when you look at the one in Florida, to me, it's like that is a haunted house. It's Gothic. It's pointy. It's scary. That's a haunted house. It doesn't have to look run down and gross for you to know that it's haunted. But when you look at the one in in, in Disneyland, uh, especially in 1967, is that when the Haunted Mansion opened? 73. 73. Yeah, see, it was in construction for uh, like 10 years. Um, when you looked at that one, then it probably didn't look super scary. It was just like, this is a house. Welcome. So... Sklar's issue is that you needed a sign to communicate what this building was going to be. <laughs> Especially, I think it, it. I think if it would just uh, was a year-long project that opened when it was supposed to, I think it would have been better. But because it took so long, they it, it struggled with communicating what it was supposed to be. Uh, sorry, I'm just checking. No, I'm sorry. Uh... I, I threw out a date and I was so convinced and then I realized that I was probably very wrong. Uh, Disneyland was 69, Kingdom oh, so was close. 71. That's right. I was yeah. so close. No, um, but yeah, because no, the one that was built in Kingdom was like finished in 69 because it was built as, at the same time as the one in Disneyland and then it just like sat there for two years. Um, yeah, so the, the reason that I thought this one was included on the list was because of what you mentioned earlier, the fact that there was... If you ride the ride, and, and listeners, you, you can imagine it right now as we're talking. Think about, like, you're in the Madame Leota room, right? Very, very unique, specific visual language of a floating head, tarot cards. It's a black light room with a projection effect with some creepy music. And then you immediately smash cut into this swinging wake 
which has no black light. It's full of, it's, it's one giant Pepper's ghost with very poppy, happy music with dancing ghosts. And then you move out of that back into the attic, which is creepy again. It might as well be blacklight. So like, you can definitely tell when Haunted Mansion was designed, you know, they gave, they gave uh, <laughs> Exitensio one room. They gave Marty one room. They gave someone else yet another room. You can tell that there was like a single creative in charge of each room, but there mm -hmm. wasn't really a creative in charge of the entire thing. So you're walking through or, or riding through, you know, a dozen very, very disparate design area. And so Those I think- little vignettes of flavors yeah. of designers. <laughs> so as Marty's talking about context, like, what is this funhouse? <laughs> Because the person who built the wake was not the person who built the hallway. <laughs> and that's the funny thing I, I think about the Haunted Mansion is that it took 10-ish years. Where it was like, it was such a long process and it still came out with this mishmash of whatever <laughs> the Haunted Mansion is. And now it's the most iconic ride in the Disney parks. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, it's it's because it's just, it's quotable it's got peppy perky music and a fun song. i mean it's the first song listeners you know it's the first thing you hear on our intro mm -hmm. <laughs> it's literally our intro song like oh and goth will never not be cool like it's it's a really good and like that's that's i think that's part of the reason why it's why it's lived on in infamy is i know when i was a kid i didn't want to go into the haunted mansion because i thought it was going to be super scary so I still don't Going so when I was, gosh, I don't even know if I wrote it before we moved away from California, because um, I don't think my parents could convince me of it. But the point is that going on the haunted mansion as a kid is a big deal, because it's the haunted mansion, and so that feeling never leaves. You always you always recognize its importance to like your growth. Um, Hey, man, I talk about it a lot. I'm afraid of the dark and I'm afraid of dead space. And there's a ton of dead space in the Haunted Mansion. Like, on purpose. It's the same. I also have issues writing Spaceship Earth by myself. Like, can't do it. There's a ton of dead space. Don't. I hate the dark. <laughs> Don't make me do it. I, I actually, it's a very annoying struggle for me when I was living down there because I would like want to go into the park by myself and I would just be like oh I'm gonna go ride this ride and like for example the Winnie the Pooh ride it's not a scary ride except that one part with Tigger and the have lumps and woozles but like it it's a dark ride which means there's dark spaces and de like dead space in the ride terrifying I can't <laughs> do it so let's talk about some things that I think do a really, really good job at communicating with visual literacy. And the number one thing I believe does the best job in most categories <laughs> is the Tower of Terror. Yay! It, first of all, where it sits and fits in the storyline of the park overall and the section of the park that it's in of this Hollywood 1939 thing beautiful amazing then you have the immersive cue into the story into like like you stare at the at the tower of terror from the end of sunset boulevard and you're like 
that's going to scare me shitless. It's going to be an awesome ride, but that is terrifying. Like when you talk about the haunted mansion of being like, that's a haunted house and it's a haunted house, but you don't know it's a haunted house because it doesn't look like a haunted house. You look at the Tower of Terror and you're like, that is a haunted house. <laughs> and I, I don't know a single person who's ever ridden the Tower of Terror that hasn't been upset the first time they wrote it. Oh, yeah. Like, think about how much of a rite of passage the Tower of Terror is. Like, you talked about the Haunted Mansion being a rite of passage, but the Tower of Terror itself, like, I, like Ben hates the Tower of Terror because he was traumatized as a child. My sister hates the Tower of Terror because she was traumatized as, as a child. Like, it's so weird that this, this IP that Disney doesn't even own <laughs> has such a powerful impact in Hollywood Studios. I don't know. What do you uh, think? <laughs> oh, I, I totally agree with you for um, for the same, but also additional reasons. So we talked about the Haunted Mansion, how you don't really know what you're getting, getting into when you walk up to it. Um, and I think what kind of lends itself to that is you you don't know how scary it's going to be. It, nowadays, it has the reputation. Um, as a kid, the reputation is, it's scary. As an adult, the reputation is, ah, it's funny. Um, but as you pointed out, if you have never heard of this thing before and you go up to it, you don't know how scary it's going to be. And so you would be perfectly within your rights to assume it's going to be super scary. Tower of Terror, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And the one that we're going to talk about next, you know even more. So Tower of Terror, you can see the ride system from Sunset Boulevard, okay? You can they hear open, it, yes. you can see it. They open up the windows, you see the people, and then you don't see them anymore. <laughs> They're gone. Um, here's, your true, here's your true story. I think I can tell you this. Um, when they were first building the ride, they were planning on piping screams through the sound system. So because they were like, we want people to see the fall and we want them to hear the fall very quickly they realized they didn't actually need to pipe the screams in because people just screamed naturally because it's terrifying yeah but uh <laughs> but that was a plan at some point um so so tower of terror does a great job of, of communicating the time period and everything plus it, you, you know it's going to be scary there's going to be falling and there's going to be screaming so yeah i totally agree with you and i think tower of terror even does like an immaculate job of like you're you walk up to the tower of terror and you're like, it's going to fall. It's a drop tower <laughs> ride. You're like, it's a drop tower ride. Great. One, it has the secret of it falls faster than the speed of gravity, which is cool. The second secret is that it moves. Yeah. yeah. It moves. So it's like, <laughs> it does its a, a job so well that you know what you're getting into and you still don't know what you're getting yourself into. Like, yeah, immaculate. It's such a big deal. So uh, I think I can tell you this too. I'm sure he wrote about it in his book, but you, you may not know, Kevin Rafferty the, was actually the mind behind Tower of Terror. I didn't know that until six months ago, but yeah, the guy who did, who designed Bugs Land and Cars Land was the, the creative head of the original Tower of Terror. Um, so when they were building it, his thought was, what? He's like, I want to, I want to surprise people. I want to do something with this ride that is going to be completely unexpected. And he was like, Elevators go up, elevators go down. They don't ever go forward. He's like, so that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they built this ride system to, to make that happen, which is just spectacular. Um, I always get really paranoid of like 
what if it doesn't click in? <laughs> like, I'm always like, what if we, what if it doesn't click in and the ride system fails and we all die right here? Well, at least I died doing something I loved. I think you would know immediately because you're going the correct speed falling. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Don't think about it. Um, you want to talk about the rock and roller coaster. Sure do, for the same reason. And I don't remember if I've had this conversation on this show, so I apologize if you've heard this one before. Okay. Rock and roller coaster has the best marquee ever made. Okay? You walk underneath... I think, I think you might have mentioned it in Weenie, but tell us again. Sure. So you walk underneath the marquee in order to get into the courtyard where you then see the rest of the marquee, okay? It's a giant guitar whose frets turn into a roller coaster that is going upside down with the car, with like car on it, right? That is the marquee. So you know, I'm gonna get rock and roll music. I'm gonna get a roller coaster. The roller coaster's gonna go upside down. Everything you possibly need to know about that ride is communicated to you in the first five seconds you look at it. I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Because, it, and it makes me, like, realize how dumb some people can be. <laughs> because, like, my my mom is on a, on a mission to, like, make my dad go on rides he hates. Um, he, we got him on the Tower of Terror one year. That was an impressive feat. I don't know how it ever happened. Um, because he knows what, the, again, you look at the Tower of Terror, you know what's going to happen. But we got my dad like majority of the way through the tower of terror or the rock and roller coaster queue and the rock and roller coaster queue one the marquee you're right it tells you exactly everything you need to know but two the whole queue tells you that there's inversions <laughs> like this ride has eight inversions just so you know if you hate inversions don't ride this ride but you do and i think the rock and roller coaster does a very good job at communicating the story as well. As you go through, you hit the marquee and you're like, hell yeah, let's do it. And then you go through GeForce Records and you're like, hell yeah, let's <laughs> go rock and roll. And it's like, even if you hate roller coasters, you can't deny the pair of rock music and roller coasters. Like, it's just rock and roller coaster even universal has the exact same concept of rip ride rocket like the the idea is this rock rock coaster with with a roller coaster like it, oh. good yeah it's great tell me about bugs land i've never i never got to experience it oh i'm i like I'm genuinely really sorry you never got to experience it. I've heard it was lovely. Like, one, you've told me everybody else who's ever been to Disneyland when it existed yeah. said it was the cutest thing in the world. Um, so another another Kevin Rafferty uh, creation. Um, so B Bugs Land was a lot like Toy Story Land where you get shrunk down, except you get shrunk down even smaller um, in a Bugs Land than you do in, in Toy Story Land. And the reason that I want to bring it up is because of the rides. Mm -hmm. So um, I will defend until the day I die that Bugs Land, which is a third or was a third the size of Toy Story Land, <clears throat> is 10 times better because there were, oh man, one, two, three, four, five, five rides. They were all little spinners. There was a bumper car. 
Um, there was sort of a variation on teacups. And then there was, of course, Heimlich's choo-choo train. <laughs> the greatest ride. <laughs> okay, it was, it was kind of cheesy, but I loved it. Um, but I want to talk about the rides because the rides were all um, a lot. I'll, I'll give this to Toy Story Land, which is each of the rides contextually makes sense. You know, uh, Buzz Light or the the the, the alien swirling saucers was a, a toy set from um, Pizza Planet, and then um, Slinky Dog Dash is a combination of Slinky Dog and a couple different roller coaster kits that, mm -hmm. that um, Andy had lying around. But the rides inside of Bugs Land, they were all made out of garbage and junk and trash. So like the the their version of the um, swings, like the the spinning swings, it was uh, actually it's it still exists. They repurposed it into um, the in and out, not in and out, uh, inside out, uh, emotional whirlwind. Exact same ride, just painted. So, but when it was in a Bugs Land those little um, boxes that you sit in were painted to look like uh, boxes of Chinese food or former boxes of Chinese food. Um, the, so everything looked like it was something that had been repurposed and turned into this carnival because that was the whole thing is that this was a carnival that the bugs had made to, to show to the humans. And then I will take a moment to speak on Heimlich's Choo Choo Train because you're allowed <laughs> because I, I miss it so much and I, I hear that at least one of the ride vehicles ended up um, in Emeryville at Pixar so I hope one day if I get back to Disney I become a high-ranking executive and I can go hang out in Emeryville and you can go, just sit in the chair in the train um <laughs> but you know the ride for all of its weird quirkiness made total sense in that space um because Heimlich was a character uh, in the world. He was totally a character who would just take people to go eat food. Plus, you could see it from a few different places around Bugsland. So again, you could see that there was a little caterpillar crawling around with people on his back. And there was no confusion about it because you were that small and you were allowed to be. So that is my long diatribe about Bugsland. I truly wish I got to experience Bugs Land, but you know, thus is fate and mm -hmm. not, and missing out on things. Speaking of missing out on things, let's talk about Krusty Land yeah. at Universal Studios. Um, and the joke of me missing out on things is that they closed Back to the Future a couple months before I was able to actually go ride it and it was changed oh. into the Simpsons ride, which takes place in, sorry about my squeaky door over there. Um, it was changed into the facade of Krusty Land. And like, a lot of people have issues with the way Universal does their lands because it's pretty, it's sometimes tacky. The Islands is wonderful. Islands does lands very well of like, you're here and then you move on and you, you transition very nicely into almost all of the lands at Islands. However, Universal Studios originally was supposed to be a studios park, as Hollywood Studios was, and it was supposed to just be a bunch of little sound stages. And Krusty Land was put in. I think it was actually the first not conventionally themed land. 
that was mm. put into Universal because they had they had the, the little kid zone over in the corner, but it was over in the corner. Nobody could really see it unless you were trying to go to the kids area. Men in Black fit the like the idea of like okay, there was the Men in Black section, then there was also originally it was Amityville, which transitioned very nicely from San Francisco, which transitioned very nicely from New York. So all of those kind of flowed into each other. And then they decided that The Simpsons was the next thing they were going to put in. And you got this disgusting carnival <laughs> across from Jaws. <laughs> but when, but when it, it's in context of this, this commandment, it does its job very, very well. Of Springville and the, the Simpsons Park, but specifically Krusty Land, is is doing its job as you walk you see from across the water it's almost like a pier and that's the idea is it supposed to be that you walk into like this pier side um like ocean side park like a coney island ish thing and you look across the water to it and it's this big old crushed crusty marquee it's this big building that is surrounded by carnival barker games and the dumb whatever whirlwind ride that they have <laughs> over there that looks just like it was like picked up and pulled out of a carnival and crusty land does what it has to do is it's telling you you are about to walk into the dumbest carnival you've ever been in the <laughs> grossest the dumbest carnival and it's the simpsons so they can get away with it and that was the thing that like truly made me upset the first time i revisited universal once it was all done was that it was the simpsons so they had the excuse to be tacky <laughs> I don't know. Krusty Land really does it for me of like communicating exactly what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I have a passing familiarity with with the Simpsons IP, um, but from what little I do know about it, I really still genuinely enjoy just kind of walking around. Um, uh, Springfield and just seeing all the different things and just having a drink at Moe's, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you're able to do that. And I think that's really powerful because honestly, I would say. <laughs> Mike, just turn the light off so that he can go to bed. And it's just, uh, now I look like I'm like in front of a green screen. It's not plugged in. The Sorry. I mean, you can plug it in. We'll be quiet soon. Yes, so walking around Springfield, sorry. Yeah, no, so I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Um, but it is, it's thorough from, from front to back. Um, the, the eyes of Krusty darting around as you walk into his mouth <laughs> uh, are just spectacular. Like, yeah, they really... I don't have anything else to add. It's good. It's, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> it's crazy because it's like, so the, the foundation of q to q in the first place was so that we could, um, I wanted to do a lot of research and heavy research on queue lines. That was the whole point was I was going to do a bunch of research. I was going to go visit parks and talk about queue lines, like, like not hidden things about queue lines, but like attention to detail in queue lines. And I, I, I don't go on the Simpsons ride often because it's, it's just a motion simulator and I d I'm not a Simpsons fan. But the cue of the Simpsons ride is so good. 
Because yeah. it cues you up for this massive, very similar to Flight of Passage situation of there's a ton of you going on the same ride at the same time. And it has you in these these like little rows and then it goes into your individual rooms and then you do whatever. But it's like, it has all the screens that have all the characters that even if you're not a Simpsons fan, you un- you get the full experience of like, you are about to go into the dumbest carnival of your life. <laughs> Welcome to the Simpsons. Like, I mean, it's great. Every line, like line of dialogue in that experience from the queue into the ride itself to the safety video, every single one is a joke and every single joke lands. I love going on that ride because I always find something new to laugh at because there's so much, especially in the ride itself. Every frame has six jokes in it. It's just insane. Yeah, it's truly amazing which it's, it's funny to think about like the simpsons having this immaculate beautiful ride and it's the simpsons but <laughs> it's great um in context of this this commandment i feel like we bring it up every single time we talk about the 10 commandments is it time to talk about dino land in context of this because i don't know if it does this commandment insanely well or insanely poorly and i want to know your opinion I'm pondering. So I'm going to go with bad. I am because the two most important attractions in that section of the park are Dinosaur, formerly known as Countdown to Extinction, and the Boneyard. and Dino, uh, Chester and Hester's Dinorama do not point you towards either of those rides and do not add to either of those rides. Now, much like the Simpsons area, much like Springfield, uh, as its own self-contained thing, it's a pretty successful design, but especially now that Primeval World is officially gone, there's no anchor attraction, so there's in in this conversation, it's kind of pointless. I'm gonna be honest with you. I know I've said some very good things about it in the past, and I, I will still maintain that on the whole, it's a very strong choice. But especially with Primeval World being gone, um, and because of its relationship with the things that are important, it's no good anymore. It's not. Yeah, and I think if we go off of what. Sklar says about you should know exactly what you're getting into in the first place. The fact that it's taken me the entirety that I've known that Dinoland existed, and it's taken you explaining to me the concept of the park to understand what the concept of that part of the park is, I think is why it fails. (laughs) Because I didn't, for my 23 years of life, I never understood the connection between Primeval World and Dinosaur. Um, I never understood the juxtaposition of Chester and Hester versus the Dino Institute. And if for those of you who are new to this this conversation, I believe it is talked about in almost every episode that Shay is on. So if you see Shay tagged in an episode, go check it out and you'll understand. Because I, I swear we bring up Dino Land every single episode. Because it's a good example for pros and cons in almost all of these. So yeah, I think with the idea that you, 
the guest, the, the, every, ev- the everyday average guest is supposed to understand immediately what's going on, I think it fails. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, so the, the, the department that I worked for, as I said, we collect the stories. And one of the reasons that I'm able to, to talk with such confidence is because I, I have most of these stories locked away in my head. And I, I only share those that I'm allowed to. But the question that I would get asked by my mother and a few other people, but most of my mother is, Shay, you know all these things and you're able to stand here and tell me them. How in the world is anybody else supposed to know? And I think that's what this, that's what this is all about. This particular um, uh, commandment is how are people supposed to know these stories? Because the things that I talk about in Pandora, if you were to walk into Pandora and study it for an hour, you'd figure it out. You would. Yeah. Um, but Dino Land? No, you wouldn't, because there are some really important connections that are never explicitly stated. Hmm. Um, and that's one of the one of the issues, kind of, that I have with Disney Springs is that they take a lot of their story and spell it out for you very obviously. But there are still more things to discover at Springs that are not written on a placard. Um, yeah, think- last last week, um, I don't know if you saw this post, but last week we started talking about it. it's going to be a, now a three part series because apparently there's too much about it um, <laughs> about the like the evolution and history of Disney Springs. And last yeah. week I started doing the research and went, holy shit. Pleasure oh, yeah. Island is four hours long. So last week was pretty much just Pleasure Island, which again was spelled out on placards. Yeah. L- luckily we tore a lot of those up, but Springs itself still has a lot of little things here and there that sort of are, you know, historical markers and, and whatnot, but no- nothing like what they did for, for Pleasure and the Pleasure family. Oh my gosh. They're, they put a novel on the wall. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very complicated story. Helpful uh, for me talking about it tw- like 10 years later, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay, you, you wrote down Future World is possibly another bad example? Yeah, because, and so I don't think all of Future World does a bad job. I think there are, like, the C's we know what's going on in the seas. It's pretty obvious. Mission space, same thing. You know what's going on with mission space. You walk in and there's a there's a spaceship outside. You know something's happening with a spaceship. Great. But like the spaceship Earth, first of all, so many people who are new to the park don't even realize there's a ride inside. Yeah. And it's like, Future world is so confusing because like it's supposed to be oh it's supposed to be this like kind of world fairy kind of thing, which seems like just a the a a bunch of themes with Disney is like everything's a world fair, but <laughs> future world is supposed to be this like snapshot and it's supposed to be this taste of of trying to get you to to like this thing. Or like to be interested, it's like it gives you this taste of the ocean. Originally, with the universe of energy, it was this taste of the ideas of renewable 
energy and resources in a time where nobody really knew a lot about them. Same thing with the land is it's like, wow, hydroponic plants are cool. Let's look into that. Yeah. But like the, the imagination pavilion, if there wasn't a giant marquee to tell you that this was about imagination, would you expect it to be imagination? Or would you expect it to be more greenhouses? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this weird thing of like, I think it does an amazing job of like, I think it does build a weenie very well <laughs> of giving you a reason to go there, but I don't think it does a very good job at communicating what's going on. Mm-hmm. Even, even when innovate interventions was there or communicore or whatever, like other than the marquee, what's telling you to go in that building? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. In, I believe interventions failed one because of the technology and it was too fast but also because it didn't do a good job at telling you this is what you're getting in this experience and like same thing with like the wonders of life pavilion what about the shape of that building tells you you're going to learn about humans it's just future world is so insane to me that it's like no wonder it's not as successful as it is you know at least cosmic rewind will have a giant spaceship on the front (laughs) <laughs> and a giant show building <laughs> yeah. well, so on, on the flip side um mission space you know it's gonna well you you, you know it's gonna be a space thing you don't know it's gonna be a spinny death trap thing though no but spaceships are cool <laughs> well and, and the facade for mission space is just gorgeous right like but, it, it'll be a perfect facade for the restaurant if the restaurant ever opens um differently test track what what i can't i don't know if test track is good or bad because what good based on based on the this commandment though yeah why because the track goes around the outside so as long as you're standing there for more than 20 seconds you know what's going to happen now you don't know that it's going to be sort of a digital experience until you walk into the queue and then you get the you kind of understand that it's going to be a, a thing so the marquee doesn't do a great not marquee the, the facade doesn't do a great job of communicating that aspect but the queue the, the the facade will tell you about the ride system the queue tells you what the ride's going to be true i think old test track did a very good job at being like you're a crash test dummy strap in kiddo <laughs> but i think the new one still and it, we talked about this with, with haunted too of like its reputation now holds up to what it is like most people know test track also the the title to, of test track will give you a give you an idea mission space the title again gives you an idea of what you're getting into of like a space mission it's a it's mission space like yeah. Yeah. so i think that side i don't know what side that is is that east uh yes future world east does a very good job future world west nah, not so much because the land even the land doesn't give you a good idea of what's going on in there soren doesn't fit in that pavilion when you think about the context of what the the (laughs) pavilion was supposed to be i don't know and they had to put to to make it more like obvious that soren was in it is it's literally the land featuring soren (laughs) (laughs) like because people you wouldn't know it's in there <laughs> i don't know the land maybe i just have a gripe with the land and the, the imagination pavilion and how they don't do a good job of telling you what's going on in there 
<laughs> I don't know. Universe of Energy, the marquee told you what it was, but even then, the idea of what the ride was, who knows? Oh, yeah. It's still hard to explain it. It's like, well... Well, so Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> um, anyway, Gringotts. Gringotts. You ready for this? Doesn't make any sense. You walk into Diagon Alley, you see a giant dragon breathing fire. Problem is, if you haven't gone on the ride yet, the dragon has not escaped yet. So you go into the ride, suddenly the dragon shows up, you become very confused particularly if you are familiar with the movie. If you're not familiar with the movie, you can kinda just say, okay, well maybe the dragon moved from upstairs down here. But if you've seen the movie, you're like, no, 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 no. The world outside takes place 20 minutes from now. <laughs> so why is there a dragon down here? So the facade specifically gives you a point in time. The facade says, Diagon Alley takes place the minute that the dragon escapes from Gringotts. And then you go into Gringotts and your, 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 your time is thrown out the window. Um, which, you know, we, we all just accept because it's a cool dragon, whatever. But if you really want to talk about that, it's, and then, um, and then, you know, Gringotts was, was advertised as a roller coaster. It's barely a roller coaster. It's not a roller coaster. No. Um, <laughs> And like they have to have a picture of the vehicle that you look at so that you actually know what you're about to get into. And yeah, it doesn't do a great job of communicating. Even, you know, I'll be honest, even on the ride, I felt like the ride, like in the middle of the attraction, I felt like I was being bait and switched because there's that, those couple hallways when you go underneath other tracks. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is going to end in a big moment where I just go all around these tracks on this cool roller coaster. I can't wait for, oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah, and that brings me to, I, I mentioned at the bottom, like I'm questioning Diagon Alley slash the Hogwarts Express of like in 10 years, in the theoretical 10 years when Harry Potter has fallen into obscurity, because I'm, pick, I, I'm anticipating that. I think with the state of the world and the state of the author, <laughs> Harry Potter will not be as popular in 10-ish years. So the reason why Diagon Alley is popular is because it is so true to the movies of the way it looks. You walk through the wall, you go into Diagon Alley, and you are completely surrounded by Diagon Alley. It looks exactly like you were thinking it was going to look. It feels exactly like you want it to feel. However, the outside of Diagon Alley in 10 years, when nobody cares about Harry Potter, people are going to walk right by and never know it's there. Huh. Because there is nothing about London, the London facade of the Wizarding World, that tells you, come inside. Nothing. The novelty is that you are going through the magical, the magical brick wall. But, like, why would you do that? The same thing with, with the Hogwarts Express in a specifically the London side of things. Is it's like, okay, I'm going on a train. <laughs> yeah. Like, the novelty for the London side is that you go through the wall and you go through platform nine and three quarters and you get transported after you go through that wall into the train station of platform nine and three quarters at King's Cross. But it's like, again, there's nothing that explicitly says something about London that is like, yes, 
let us go in and this and even the leaky cauldron canonically is actually outside of diagon alley it Mm. is its own it's 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 just a a london pub that muggles can't see but it's there so i think if they wanted to push that idea of like you if you want to eat at the leaky cauldron you enter from the london side and then you exit into diagon alley i think that would have been a stronger choice and that would have actually given i think a little bit more obviousness that's not the word but you know it just diagon alley man in 10 years it's not gonna work (laughs) hogsmeade works no matter Mm -hmm. what it'll work because it's just it's this you don't have to find it you walk through it you have to walk through it if you're going that way diagonally you could walk past it and it wouldn't be a problem and that's that's the thing i have an issue with at studios overall is that other than crusty land you walk past something and you have no idea that you walked past it yeah there there's so many so many things that you can just like even born stuntacular is there now but terminator other than the the terminator head when it was there it's a building. Yeah. Like yeah. I forgot the Terminator was in that part of the park for the longest time because once it was gone, it's just a building in Hollywood. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's so weird for me that Universal Studios can have islands, which is such a beautiful park. And then Universal Studios where it's like, you've fallen short on all of these little tiny things. They're getting there. But that's not to say that Diagon Alley is still not the greatest immersive experience of all time, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, and I guess we'll round it out by talking about how bad Pixar Pier is. Pretty much. Yeah. So, man. So Paradise Pier did its job. Paradise <laughs> Pier made you feel like you were in sort of a vaguely San Francisco, vaguely Long Beach place santa monica pier whatever you want it yeah, to be yeah thank you um and it it transported you to that sort of beach beach seaside spot and and all of the rides there made sense because you were at a carnival now we're, we're in crusty land <laughs> yeah now now we have pixar pier which doesn't make any sense outside or inside. I mean, it makes, no, it, it makes sense in the way that they wanted a place to put all their popular IPs. So they made one um, because of course, Incredibles was having a, a big renaissance when they were building it. Incredibles 2, I think had just come out when they opened it. Um, and now Incredibles is just another IP, but I mean, then again, so is, Snow White and, and Pinocchio, but those are going strong. Um, and then Inside Out was super popular when they were developing it. So Inside Out got a ride. Well, I don't know. I haven't heard much about Inside Out lately. Um, and then you've got uh, the the Pal Around, which doesn't fit in any one. It's just, you know, look at our friends. <laughs> so the point is that you know about the neighborhoods in Pixar Pier? Nope. You know that, okay, so Pixar, I haven't been to to DCA yet, which is a damn shame because Cars Land also exists in DCA. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
um, which is also like I like you're gonna tell me all about how Pixar Pier sucks, but like you made an entire area of your park into Pixar when originally you had two very good lands based on two Pixar IPs. Yep. <laughs> but go on about the neighborhoods. So technically, Pixar Pier is divided into a bunch of neighborhoods. There's like the Incredibles neighborhood. There's the Up neighborhood. There's the Inside Out neighborhood. Yeah, right? Um, there's one more. I can't even remember. Oh my gosh, we forgot about um, Jesse's Critter Carousel. So there's like a Toy Story neighborhood, which is pointless. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know if, if it's a if it's anything they acknowledge anymore, but when they were advertising it, when when they were um, previewing it before it opened, they were like, there's gonna be this neighborhood, and this neighborhood, and this neighborhood, and they're all gonna be have belong to these characters. But why? That's what I don't get. Why do you need to divide them up? You've already called it Pixar Pier. You know what you're you're gonna walk into it. You're gonna walk underneath the cute little Luxo when he's working. You're gonna see Pixar stuff, but you further divided it out. And then you you what you haven't explained except in one case, which I will touch on. You haven't explained why all the Pixar characters are here. Are they just chilling? Is, <laughs> is this where they live now? Like at least in Fantasyland. Canonically, this is where Snow White lives. This is where Pinocchio lives. They all live here. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're saying about Pixar Pier now? That they all live there? You haven't said that. You said there's neighborhoods. The one, the one thing that they attempt to justify is the Incredicoaster, and this fits into today's lesson very well because contextually. The Incredicoaster, without the given context, the, the Incredicoaster makes less sense than anything else. Like, why, why is Jack-Jack running around this roller coaster? It makes no sense. Jack-Jack just gets away, and now we're all going to go chase him. Why are, why are the Incredibles even at this roller coaster? Okay, they do explain it very poorly. So, <laughs> in, so the, the, the line for the Incredicoaster goes through this really, really large area where it's, it's all slaloms back and forth. And you go up and over um, one of the loading tracks. In the moment where you go up and over the loading track, there's five or six TV screens up above you that explain all of the exposition, which is they have taken a roller coaster. They never say that it's California screaming, but it's heavily inferred that they have taken this roller coaster and they have devoted it to the Incredibles after they saved, um, what's it called, Minas Berg, um, in the first movie, no, second movie. They saved Minas Berg in the second movie, and they are now devoting this roller coaster to the Incredibles. The Incredibles are here in the, like, devotion ceremony, the opening mm -hmm. ceremony. Dedication. Thank you, thank you, the dedication ceremony, and then suddenly Jack-Jack gets away, and then they have to go chase him. Okay, Solid. That's solid justification. I will buy that. Problem is, you know how long you're on that that bridge? Like 15 seconds, 20 seconds if they're doing their job. So nobody gets that context. First of all, you're barely paying attention to the screens at all, and they're only in one place. And you can't, like, I didn't get that until I went on that ride like five or six times. Wow. I was like, oh, 
Oh, so yeah, all the context that you need for the story to make any sense at all is presented really, really quickly and really poorly. So it's so weird because so when they announced Pixar Pier, I was like super excited because I was like, hell yeah, Pixar rides. And I was so excited because I don't know if you remember probably about how long has Toy Story Mania been in Hollywood Studios for a while. When they yeah. opened Toy Story Mania, there was that like stretch of path that went from Animation Courtyard to Star Tours? No, Muppets. Or the Backlot Tour originally, because I believe the Backlot Tour was still open at that time. So it went, it brought you to the Backlot Tour, which then brought you to Lights, Motors, Action, and the Muppets. And that section of the park, it was, there was a big old rumor a bunch of years ago, and I, I'm not sure if it was like a, a thing that was actually in pro, like production and it was canceled or whatever but there was a rumor about actually no because monsters inc mike and sully came out at dca and there was a rumor that they were in production for a monsters inc roller coaster to be mm-hmm. at hollywood studios not sure if it was real whatever either way my family and i were like oh my god what if you took that strip and called it pixar place and you just had so you have toy story mania you had monsters in because it was rumored to be literally next door it was going to take over a par- portion of the backlot tour and it was going to be behind toy story mania which is now toy story land but it was going to be that section of the park and it was like all of these things like my whole family like basically we imagined this land right of like how could you use the rides currently to make a pixar place or like the ips currently i think we were up to like we weren't even up to brave yet that's how early on this idea came into my family's head. And we had this whole thing. So when they announced Pixar Pier, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. But like, then you have DCA <laughs> that has Pixar Pier and it has four-ish rides that loosely tie into the idea. But you also have in DCA on some other part of the park, Cars Land. And then yet another part of the park is your Monsters, Inc. ride. <laughs> So it's like, it's so disjointed. Like, it seems like it's the curse of DCA. I've talked about it a million times of like, California Adventure could could never be a good park because of the way it was built in the first place is that you you would have to pretty much close it, tear it down, move things and start again to make it any, any form of continuity poor dca still a great park good rides (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing is it's like i said to ben a couple episodes ago of like disney california adventure is is the universal studios of disney world (laughs) if if you if you said if you went to universal studios we were going to give you a free amusement park it's going to be across the street from disneyland it's going to be a disney park but it's good but you guys get to design it i disney california adventure is what would have happened wow yeah no, you're right. It's just, and it's not a bad park. It's just not to the Disney degree that, again, I was talking about earlier of like, it's not that Disney degree of like every other park. And I mean, Hollywood Studios is, you can argue one way or the other with it at this point in its career. But DCA compared to every other park other than maybe Disneyland Paris originally just flat it fell it's not 
there was not enough thought put into it and like we talked about it in our michael eisner episode of just like it was just him as a person and his ideas and his philosophies of like build more but for less yeah and that is i mean like it was wasn't it sklar who helped motivate ousting eisner oh i don't know i'm fairly certain it was surprised yeah it was like i believe sklar and uh roy had a large part in that but visual literacy man like because that's the other thing is going back to pixar pier if you did the pixar place when it was just like this is a place for pixar characters this is where they live if you gave that context of like and even if you were like this is where they live except buzz lightyear who's over in tomorrowland because he's got a mission going on like if you like addressed it like even for a second because that's the other thing is like now you have toy story mania in like you have toy story land but it's like you still have astro blaster slash space ranger spin chilling over in disneyland like yeah where's buzz lightyear fall into the narrative over here (laughs) because he's in two different places is he just that good i don't know man of many talents and the other thing about pixar pier is it's like i mean i haven't seen it but a thing that i hate is that pixar has a, a many amazing ips and many amazing titles and they seem to only care about the cash grab ones Mm-hmm. when you could make like the thing i think that disney misses is that you can make your your not cash grabs popular by giving them an attraction <sighs> like <laughs> yeah no you're right so easy if you give them an attraction you give people something to believe in and like, you make look, it make sense <laughs> look how long song of the south has stayed in our conscience even though disney doesn't want it to be I still don't understand why that ride was built in the first place. It was already not a good movie in the 80s. Never made sense. The song was really, really popular. That one song, damn it. And it had all those animatronics left over from America Sings. We're running out of time here, but like, you want to talk about communicating with visual literacy, not Splash Mountain. Oh? Splash Mountain doesn't fit the theme of the the land at all. That's true. Like, I think w- within itself, I think Splash Mountain's great because again, you can see the drop from yeah, the yeah, it's totally great. But yeah, it it fits really well into Critter Country over in Disneyland. But yeah, in uh, not in, not in Florida, boy. But well, and it's about to become New Orleans, right? So that's going to make even less sense. The Louisiana Purchase, eh? Sure. <laughs> um that was part of westward expansion the louisiana that was literally the cause of the civil war yeah um but it i mean it theory they'll find a way they'll figure it out they'll make it make sense because that's what they do so if, if they take the characters from princess and the frog and send them send them not to Louisiana. That's what they should do is, you know, all of them are going on a vacation to some Western river expedition. <laughs> Fievel goes west, but with the princess and the frog. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would love that. We'll so draw much. it up. We'll send it to Disney. It'll be great. <laughs> anyway, so that is the fifth commandment in Mickey's Ten Commandments. 
it's kind of funny because I feel like we've been talking about this for so long, which we have. It's been five months. But <laughs> it also seems very strange that we're only on five and we still have five more to go. I'm excited. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> so thank you, Shay, for being my one and only co-host today. Thank you for having me as usual. I always enjoy it and I always look forward to it and I can't wait to do it again in a month. I don't even know what we're talking about next month, but we'll find out. But anyway, as always, if you like this podcast, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to all of our things. We're now on Apple Pods. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rate and review. Um, and if you like what you hear and you want to see more stuff, you can go over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Q2Q and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I hope this week that we are going to be seeing a new video on our YouTube channel. So stay tuned for that, everybody. And other than that, I think that's all we got. So we'll see you next week. Bye.